His condition was quickly deteriorating, and thus it was deemed best that he journeyed to Saltwater House. The ocean air, the murmur of the waves, they would soothe him. Lightning recap in On the Lonely Shore by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. A young woman accompanies an ill young man to the shore. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. This has been Short Story Short Podcast, and it continues to be such. I am Christopher Garcia, here today on location in beautiful San Jose, California, stealing Starbucks Wi-Fi with Christy Baxter, uh, on location in beautiful Johnstown, Pennsylvania, with uh, a cat in, in close proximity. You know, I've been having, very few people know this, but I'm actually married to the sea. Uh, and I, I feel like I, and I abandoned uh, the sea long ago, but I feel like I should sort of try to get back in touch with that. Uh, what, what should I read to make that happen? You should read On the Lonely Shore by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, because she also has your last name too. Yes, she does. And she is a wonderful human being. Uh, absolutely fantastic. And this, of course, is a story from our good friends at uncanny magazine subscribe it a, today it is uncanny how good their stories are i see what you did there yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is a story that has a lot going on though at the surface you could literally say it is one of the threads of the film, The Hours. Hmm. Is The Hours the film I'm thinking of? Uh, I, I was thinking about that one where I haven't seen it, but somebody does it with a fish. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of The Shape of Water? Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it, but my understanding is... <laughs> that somebody in that film it gets freaky with a fish and so that seems like this could have that in common with that <laughs> well i was going a little more highbrow but uh, that does <laughs> that does work i guess <laughs> hey didn't the the fish sex movie like win like stuff it did <laughs> oscar or something <laughs> uh yeah yeah but i think one of the things here is that it is a well, first off, let's talk a little bit about Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. She is one of those writers who can write anything, but no matter what she's writing, you, her style is instantly recognizable. And I really like her style. It's, it's very calming. <laughs> I, like, I like it when I'm calmed down instead of like last week when I'm have like visceral gasping that you know a reveal and it's very it's very calming and she's very good at threading uh that that's sort of you know just kind of embedding within the tapestry of the story something that is vital 
to our understanding when we finally learn what exactly is happening here, but not doing it in an obvious or heavy handed way. Absolutely. And that here, breadcrumbs are sprinkled without throughout <laughs> the story. And what it does is that makes everything. It's not quite a detective. It's not a mystery we're trying to solve as we're watching this sort of relationship sort of blossom. But at the same time, when you, it happens and it all comes together, you feel the story sort of collapse in on itself and become a singularity, which then makes the twist afterwards that much more interesting. Yeah, at first it's, it seems like we're reading some sort of, you know, um, Victorian or maybe Georgian age tale of, uh, you know, a, a possible romance between, a, I was absolutely sure it was going to be tuberculosis. <laughs> a man <laughs> sticking with, with tuberculosis because that's what they all had, you know, <laughs> so, and I was, I was sure it was going to be that. And plus the whole going to the, get the, the sea air, you know, the, the sea air was always a cure or maybe the dry air. It really, they, they couldn't make up their minds. You know, it's either go to Florida or go to Colorado, pick one, but not both. <laughs> and so, yeah, there, there are these breadcrumbs throughout and that is kind of almost a red herring, but uh, it, and it's, it's a more of a relief because at least he's not dying. Or is he? Well, I mean, he's changing form. So maybe the mm -hmm. human uh, Balthazar, as, as his name is, is dying. But, you know, there, he'll be still existing in some form. And it seems like he expects to have some sort of sentience in that fishy form that he's going to take. Yeah. And I think what plays with that so well is Moreno's sort of semi-goth. It's definitely gothic in style. She writes gothics as well. But it's that style that at once has that sort of, I don't want to say Lovecraftian, uh, but maybe Hope Hodgesian concept of there is something greater out there. And in the horror stories that you saw from the, that, that range of author, it's usually some sort of lurking dread. But here, it is a transformation that isn't necessarily dread, but at the same time, is that sort of unknowableness, this sort of inscrutable change that's going to happen that needs to sort of play with its, within itself. Yes, uh, before I go on, I do have an update. The cat is no longer in proximity. The cat is in my lap, so <laughs> it's mine. So close proximity. <laughs> yes, very close proximity. Yeah, there's, um, I think, it's interesting that you don't want to call it Lovecraftian because it's not. And you're, you're very correct about that. But I was trying to, this is a story that doesn't tell us what genre it's in until the very end. And so therefore it could be considered maybe not to be genre at all because the genre aspect of it is so small. But then again, the genre aspect of it is so huge too because it's going to define how their relationship carries on as they move forward and you know as he changes into his, his fishy form and so like I feel like this has to be magic realism what do you think 
I'm torn between magical realism and slipstream, but I would probably go magical realism just because the way that the relationship is presented is fairly realistic of someone going through a an end of life event. And if you just look at, you know, uh, death as a mutation of change, you know, like whoever came up with the stupid idea of uh, tarot card reading <laughs> did, uh, that it's that sort of very realistic story of the difficulties of dealing with that as a person going through it, the difficulty of someone who is watching that happen, knowing that the change is going to be irreversible. That sort of concept bounces off one another. And with the magical aspect that actually represents the change. So I do think magical realism is probably what it is. So I'm just going to say it's, it's fantasy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm glad it's not slipstream uh, it, it, that you didn't go in that direction because as it's intended, slipstream just gives me this sort of existential discomfort it's just a little, a little, a little existential squirminess, and uh, I've never been really into deliberately making myself uncomfortable. <laughs> so. I see you're not into the awkward comedies. Uh, yeah, I think that one of the other beautiful things about this is that we have two characters who we relate to perhaps slightly more than we should, because we all have that sort of idea of wanting something to go just a little longer, to just have a few more moments, to just be able to express that deepest expression we need to get out and feeling like there is a clock on the wall. Yeah, that sense of time always tick, tick, ticking away. And it, it, it kind of makes you want to be a TikTok man. <laughs> um, <laughs> conserve it, conserve the time. But yes, it is, you know, everything has its ending. And uh, of course there is the idea that that's what makes, that's what makes things worth doing is because, because they have an ending, you know, anything that you do forever, it, it's, if you knew you had forever, you wouldn't cherish it. So there is that sense of sort of, you know, we have this moment and then this moment and then this moment, and then we don't know what's next. And that I think is a really, um, a gift that that story gives us. Correct. I mm. think that that is the, that is the crux of the story. One other aspect I did want to mention is that this has a lot in common with another author that we've talked about a lot and his oeuvre that is Ray Bradbury who wasn't necessarily writing magical realism but used genre in very much a similar way where it was the driver of the story but not necessarily easily identifiable as the story but I think where uh, Sylvia is incredibly different is in her use of the language, whereas Bradbury was a little more pneumatic drill, she's more of a, a fine polish to her work. 
Absolutely. Yes. And there's just, like I said, there's just this calmness to it. It's, it's very soothing. I could, I should read her work when I'm anxious. <laughs> I think that would really help me. And, or maybe, I mean, maybe I'm also relating to the fact that I, I listened to the LeVar Burton reading of it over on uh, LeVar Burton Reads, as you recommended I do. So maybe that's why I'm getting that sense of calmness. Because, you know, it was reading Rainbow in my childhood. And so it was all, it was all good. But yeah, I, I do really love her writing here. And the picture that she paints in the beginning, I think, is really vital to the story working. That picture of like pastoral seaside contentment of of summer by the sea. And uh, it just, it, it paints this picture of this wonderful life and, you know, but summer is what it is and summer ends. And so you get that feeling of transitoriness at the same time as you get that feeling of contentment. And I think that's a lot of what is going to define the relationship between Sylvia and Balthazar is both its contentment and its transitoriness. Wow, that's that's deeper than I ever get. Um, sigh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I barely have any bullets. It just came to me. I was like, wow, that she really picked the perfect time to set it because it wouldn't have worked nearly as well if it was springtime or fall or whatever. It has to be summer because summer is like what their relationship is going to be. It's that that Edna St. Vincent Millay poem, you know, and and no such summer as the one before. Hey, Christy, we're having all sorts of audio issues, so what should we read next week? Uh, I think we should read Sorry, Fugu by T.C. Boyle.